The idea of surfing USA, which connects the idea of surfing with America and, and with everything that the song is putting forward as, as American, that was very much on people's minds in, in almost in an unconscious way. This is Wyatt. I'm back again with my friend Jason here. Hey, dudes and dudettes. And this is the Sail On Podcast. This is episode six. Everyone's been writing in, and we've got some new emails to read, so we're going to get right into that. First off, we've got an email from Nick D'Alfonso. He says, Hey, guys, just finished the first episode of your podcast and just wanted to say how great it is to hear someone talk about the Beach Boys at length. I was super happy to hear you both put Love You so high on your respective lists. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because for some reason I can't seem to find my vinyl of this album, but I remember the first time I heard it a few years ago when I was a senior in college and thinking this is what the Phil Spector sound would have been like if he had kind of carried the basic elements of his early stuff into 1976. There's so much to love about the album, and the one thing that you guys touched on a bit in that first episode is how many sounds this band had on their different album, and man, I really just dig the sound of Love You. I'm going to try to get caught up on the episodes this weekend. Hope to keep hearing from you. Best, Nick D'Alfonso. Thanks for writing, Nick. We are big fans of Love You. I think, you know, a lot of Beach Boys fans either love it or hate it. And uh, we're, we were hoping to stir up a little bit of controversy, and we we're looking forward to talking more about that album in the future. Yeah, that album's one of our favorites. As we mentioned, it's very evident that his strongest influence musically was definitely the music of Phil Spector. So yeah, just another reason to love, love you. Next up, we've got an email from Jim Hensey. Hey guys, really love the podcast, been waiting for a long time to listen to intelligent, knowledgeable talk about the best band ever. One minor nitpick, although I thought the Gary Usher episode was really thorough, there was a glaring omission. He released an album in 1984 called Sanctuary. The band is credited as Celestium, written, arranged, and produced by Gary. In the liner notes, he credits Brian Wilson as coming to him in a dream and co-writing the song Radiate. Needless Needless to say, it's awesome. Regards, Jim Hinsey. Well, Jim, I looked up this album, and um, we've got a little bit of the song Radiate to play now, so you guys can check it out. Gary, in 1984, still using fake band names for his own projects, and still enlisting studio musicians, um, and it's very of the times. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm picking up the Brian Wilson vibes, but... Uh, Glad you're digging it. Thanks for uh, letting us know about it. We definitely miss this in our research.
it sounds like that story about Brian coming into him in a dream is very similar to when Brian supposedly wrote Dead Man's Curve in that mythical house with the key piano just sitting there. So, yeah, that's true. These these guys love their myths. Maybe we could have an episode all about Beach Boys myths one yeah, time. But that would be our best one yet. Because we're going to run out of episodes at some point. Yeah. Okay, up next, we got Sean Courtney. He says, Hi, guys. I don't know what generation fan I am. Born in 1974, became a fan in 89, got turned on to Pet Sounds in 90, and have been married for 18 years to someone I met in 1998 because of Pet Sounds. Well, congratulations there, Sean. That's awesome. Good choice. But anyway, the real reason for my email, I've lately been fascinated in the origins of the Beach Boys. There's a book that came out just a year or so ago called Becoming the Beach Boys, written by Jim Murphy. It might actually clear up anything you're wondering about Al Jardine's education. I do remember reading that he wanted a solid career that would pay a lot of money. His first thought was to be a doctor, but he didn't want to have to go through medical school, so he figured maybe being a dentist would be a close second. From what I understand, though, he's currently surprisingly wealthy because he and Marianne made some very good real estate investments. Guess he should have started there, huh? I learned the stuff about the Barbie connection from that book. Something I didn't realize until I read the book, Mattel, the makers of Barbie, were located in Hawthorne. Surprised I didn't hear you guys mention that. Then again, you might have mentioned that, but lately I've had the attention span of an aphid. <laughs> Speaking of which... I went to Los Angeles for the first time in the summer of 2016. Of course, we went to some of the requisite LA sites. We peeked into the windows at whatever Western Recorders is called this week, saw Brian at the Hollywood Bowl, stuff like that. My wife and I stopped in Hawthorne on our way back to LAX to check out the Foster's Freeze. If you've never been to Hawthorne, never is as good as a time as any. The place is a freaking dump. We were waiting for Foster's to open, and we saw a giant rat race across Hawthorne. We thought that it was a good sign from above. We thought that we thought that was a good sign from above that we should just leave. So we went to an in and out by LAX instead. Looking forward to more episodes. Best, Sean. Pretty intense about your experience at the uh, Foster's Freeze. I hear there's several other Foster's Freeze around LA and at the beach that definitely would probably be more enjoyable than the one there in Rat Town. But um, so glad that you're loving our podcast. Um, Hopefully, we'll come to your neck of the woods and we can talk more about your Foster's Freeze experience. We've got an email from Kathy Johnson. Hi, guys. I'm really enjoying your podcast. It makes Mondays so much better. I've been a Beach Boys fan since my teenage years in the 1980s, and it's great to hear your takes on things. Hey, I was listening to your episode on Roger Christian this week, and you brought up the subject of Jan and Dean. I would love to hear a Jan and Dean episode. I think they intersected with Brian and the Beach Boys quite a lot, even after Jan's accident. I would even love to help you do the research for it. They've been my deep dive subject of recent months. And yeah, we, we may end up doing a Jan and Dean episode. Thanks for saying that. We're going to be talking more about Jan and Dean as um, we come through, as we go through the timeline, because they're definitely are some intersecting moments between the bands so stay tuned for that in this episode as well all right we just got another email just now <laughs> from randy marcus it says i just started episode one and i had to write i'm 69 years old and i'm a fanatical brian and beach boys fan by the way i love the explorers club i seek out all brian wilson and beach boys influence stuff and yours is tops 
Well, thanks there, Randy. That's great. Appreciate that. I would love to establish contact with you. I have dozens of bootlegs, dozens of books, and would love to swap lists or even bootlegs. I'm a veteran of hundreds of concerts. Went to Woodstock, saw The Doors, Hendrix, Janice, etc. many times. The best show I ever saw was The Beach Boys at Carnegie Hall in 1972. God, one of my favorite shows (laughs) ever. It really was, man. I love that bootleg. All right. They were at the peak of their post-surfing powers. The band had horns, had Blondie and Ricky. They were killer. Yes! I remember Carl's fell off. I remember Carl's guitar fell off and he just smiled to the encouraging cheers. The highlight was It's About Time, a great rocker. I'd love to trade stories and resources. I love the podcast. Your tastes are a mirror of mine. By the way, Pet Sounds blew me away when it came out. It was my soundtrack. Wasn't made for these times was my theme song. I still tear up hearing that album. I hope to hear from you, but either way, thanks and please keep it up. Now back to episode one. Yes, Till I Die hits every heartstring, musically, lyrically, psychically. Randy Marcus. Man, that's my favorite email we've gotten so far. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's a great e- Randy, you, you, you're the reason why we make this podcast. It's for all Beach Boys fans, but that kind of enthusiasm and... Um, just love of the band is something, as you said in your email, that we, I know Wyatt and I both can mirror with you. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. And that Carnegie Hall Live 72, I have a bootleg that has like half the concert or whatever. And uh, let me tell you, that's some barn burner material on that. It's great. I just, I hate that we'll never be able to see the Beach Boys um, when they were at their peak. It's just a real bummer for me, but luckily there's some good albums and um, videos from that era, so we can always relive it through that, but it's so cool hearing from people that were actually there and that got to experience it. It's like a religious experience, I'm sure. Pretty great. Thanks for writing, Randy. And uh, we're definitely interested in uh, sharing some uh, some info. If you've got any cool bootlegs that we don't have or we don't know about, please let us know. We'd love to talk to you about it. We're always looking for some rare stuff. All right, so where are we? We left off two weeks ago with the Serpent Safari album, which came out on October 1st, 1962. The next day, Brian goes into the studio to track a song called Gonna Hustle You. This song would later be given to Jan and Dean, and Roger Christian would help rewrite the lyrics, and that became, obviously, if you listened to our last episode, you'll know, it became New Girl in School. I love this original demo. I think it's really cool, and to me, we'll get into it in a little bit, but a lot of these songs that Brian either gave away or never released are some of his best material during this era. Oh yeah, totally in my opinion, better than some stuff that ended up on the albums, but we'll talk about that later. Also in October, um, Brian's roommate, Bob Norberg, and his girlfriend, Sherry, released a single for The Surfer Moon, which was a Brian Wilson composition as well. And uh, earlier, the Beach Boys did the backing track for this song, Mm -hmm. and it's Bob and Sherry singing over it. And it would later be re-recorded for the Beach Boys Surfer Girl album. Yes. Oh, you 
there is another Bob and Brian song that I wanted to bring up because it's one of my favorites, and it's called Thank Him. And I remember hearing this on a bootleg years back, and it was never officially released until the Big Beat 1963 compilation from a few years ago. And man, I love this song. It's a great little duet, and I'm sure it was meant for Bob and Sherry, but it never got recorded by them. It's just it just crushes me man I love the tone of, of Brian's voice and I love the chords and it is evocative of the surfer moon in a lot of ways but it's so advanced for Brian and the songs he was writing and I just God, I wish they would have done this song on surfer girl instead of like surfer's rule or something like that yeah you know what's interesting though um, that tune is really magical with all that stuff you mentioned but you know one thing about and probably what bends your ear just the way it does mine is kind of the spooky ethereal quality the demo has oh absolutely i think that's i feel like it would have been tough for them to take that into the studio and and figure out a way obviously they could have got a great recording out of it but i don't know if it would have the same effect they probably weren't thinking about that but you know all you indie rockers out there who love the lo-fi you know kind of lo-fi experience of a lot of today's acts check out that demo it'll knock you out yeah man it's great Between September and November of 1962, the Beach Boys did a residency playing shows a few days a week at Pandora's Box in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip, which was like an underage club slash coffee house. Um, And that was where Brian would meet the Honeys, including uh, Ginger Blake, who was dating Gary Usher at the time, and then uh, Marilyn and Diane Rovell. And that's where the now famous story of Brian and Marilyn meeting. Brian asked to have some of her hot chocolate, and he spilt it all over her. And that was kind of their first little flirtation. And months later, I think they kind of blossomed into a romance. But uh, at the time, I'm pretty sure Brian was still dating Judy Bowles, the surfer girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, In December... Gary Usher started a session for his project, The Four Speeds, and did a few songs, the single RPM, and he brought in Dennis Wilson on drums because he really liked Dennis's style. And Dennis had like kind of a, a notable uh, signature style of playing fills and had like a certain backbeat that uh, Gary really liked and like I think was a signature of some of those early surfing and hot rod songs. Yeah, it's interesting that he 
I, I think I've read and heard some interviews with Gary, and he talks about Dennis playing on those records. And, and one thing was, I think Gary really did want to legitimize some factor of what he was doing. And by having Dennis on him, I think that helped. That maybe helped his cause with his label or something to that effect. I know they were friends. They liked to hang out and talk about cars because I think the interview I heard, he basically said that Gary knew that if he could get Dennis all pumped up about hot rod stuff, that he could get him to work in the studio. Yeah. I remember they used to go ride a lot together and that Dennis was a bit of a speed freak himself. Yeah. Kind of scared Gary a few times. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Great, great. There are many great stories about that kind of stuff, which we'll get into much later. Yeah. Um, so throughout the rest of 1962, the Beach Boys mostly were playing live shows around Southern California. But as soon as January hit in 1963, they were back in the studio recording their new album for Capitol, Surfing USA. And that's what we're mainly focusing on this week was done very quickly in just a few sessions. And I think that's one of the things that shows when you listen to this record. Um, the title track is one of the foundations of the Beach Boys' career. I don't think it can be overstated how important this song is to the Beach Boys' success and their mainstream breakthrough. Um, because when they released Surfing USA, it really was a hit across the country. And it really catapulted them into the mainstream and into the national spotlight. If everybody had a notion across the USA, then everybody'd be served like California. You'd see them wearing their baggies, wear Archie sandals too, a bushy, bushy blonde hair. Yeah, Surfing USA was, as you just said, that this was the song and the album that established them as national hit makers. Their toes were in the water with Surfing Safari and and uh, 409, but this is what this is what really brought all of America in line with what they were doing. And you know, there's a lot of reviews out there, and I'll get to some of that stuff later, but. You know, it's kind of consensus across the board that this album is the album that really launched surf culture, the surf craze, and surf music nationally. So that's a big deal. Tell the teacher we're surfing, surfing USA. The single for Surfing USA was released on March 4th, 1963. It peaked at number three on the Billboard 100, and it was the first top ten hit for the band. It was reissued in 1974, backed with The Warmth of the Sun, and it actually peaked at number 36, which is interesting. I guess that was when they had their kind of revival. Endless um, Summer. With Endless Summer. Yeah, yep. which is really awesome. So yeah, uh, this song was recorded at Western Studios, and it had kind of a trademark three-track sound, according to Chuck Britz. 
that um, they were able to, for the first time, double track their vocals and kind of spread the vocals out on the left and the right and kind of create this huge sound and then keep the instruments kind of centered. Brian says that it was Gary Usher that kind of clued him into that technique and it just blew his mind and when he told Mike about it they were all just so pumped about trying it and they loved the sound that it created. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. To me, Surfing USA is no longer really a garage sound. It's much, it's, I mean, this song. I think there's stuff on the album that definitely goes in that territory, but this single is pristine, it's clean, but it's still kind of got a rock and roll looseness to it. Um, and that double tracking of the vocals, that's the signature Beach Boy sound. One day I was talking about this song with a friend of mine and his name is Donnie and he is an original Beach Boys fan from the 60s. And he told me that the first time he heard coming over the radio, the intro, the reverbed out Chuck Berry lick, he had just flipped out. And he said he and all his other musician friends were just scrambling to the music store to figure out how to get that reverb. Um... And, you know, Wyatt and I did some research on that, and I had said, you know, it's probably a Fender Showman and a 62 Fender Reverb Tank. And I'm pretty sure that we've confirmed that that's what it is. There are a lot of conflicting reports saying it was a deluxe reverb or a twin, but those amps hadn't been invented yet. They weren't out on the market. Um... But Carl Wilson's sound on this album also is a big move forward for him because he switched from primarily using a Strat, which he used on their earlier recordings and the previous album, to a brand new Fender Jaguar that had just been released and that Fender Showman amp with the reverb unit. In a way, I almost feel like the Beach Boys were starting to really get noticed, especially in California where Fender was based. and. I'm almost certain that Fender got stuff to Carl because they used him in ads later, but definitely got him stuff they wanted him to play that would fit that sound. And I feel like, you know, right off the bat, the very first thing you hear on this album is a showcase of this brand new guitar sound that nobody else was doing yet. So yet another great studio innovation by the Beach Boys. Many of you probably know, but this song was kind of a homage, if you will, to Chuck Berry's song, Sweet Little Sixteen. And around the Frisco Bay, all over St. Louis, and down in New Orleans, all the cats wanna dance with Sweet Little Sixteen, Sweet Little Sixteen. Actually, Carl ran into Chuck Berry in Copenhagen, and he told them that he loves Surfing USA. And uh, the boys actually were big fans of Chuck Berry. They went on to record uh, rock and roll music in the 70s, and that was a big hit for them as well. You know, one thing interesting that you say about that, I think that Chuck Berry probably didn't have an issue with it, but I know his publishers certainly made sure that Chuck's name got attached, I think, by 66 they finally had any any releases that had that song was credited to Wilson and Barry. Yeah. And I imagine, knowing the nature of Chuck Berry from all my research, and I'm a huge Chuck Berry fan too, 
He probably told Carl that he liked it because of all the checks rolling in from it. That's probably true, too. Huh, I can, I can see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still, to this day, uh, credited to Wilson and Barry, although Mike Love claims that he helped write the lyrics. So I do know that Brian Wilson asked Jimmy Bowles, his girlfriend at the time's brother, about all the different surfing spots because he was a surfer. So while he was writing it, he asked Jimmy, hey, what are all these surfing spots that I can put in these lyrics? And Jimmy helped him and kind of ghost wrote the tune in a way as well. I, I can see that. I mean, there might be some validity to the Mike Love claim, but this to me just feels like, it just feels like Brian, P and Brian. A bushy, bushy blonde head dude, surfing USA. You catch him surfing at Del Mar, Ventura County Line, Santa Cruz and Trestles, Australia's Nara Bean, all over Manhattan, a Bay PV, everybody's gone surfing, surfing USA. Mike Love said, Wow, the first hit is a big moment for any rock group, and Surfing USA catapulted us from a regional garage band to a national force. I had considered ourselves a California group. Surfing USA, however, made me feel like we represented the United States, and I was proud of that. So it is a very patriotic thing for the band, and it I don't think they've played a single show without playing Surfing USA. I could be wrong, but I think they played at every single show, at least in a medley. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that Mike Love said that about the patriotism. Man, and our tribute bands played this, and I played this song in other bands when I was a kid even. There's something about this song, and I think it's just attached to the fact that, you know, we know them as America's band, but it really does have some kind of strange patriotic feel. I mean, I know, I've heard that even in Vietnam, they would blast surf in USA over you know, armed forces radio and, and the and all the crew and people would get pumped up. I can just see that straight out of one of those eighties Vietnam movies, really. But um, I don't know. There's there is some real interesting link because the song has nothing to do with patriotism, but yet that opening line, "If everybody had an ocean," um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's super inclusive. It's great lyrically. Yeah. Um, I understand his connection with the patriotism. So pretty, pretty great how that little tune brought about such a huge wave of feelings in people. I do think it's funny that they mention all these, you know, U.S. locations, but then they mention uh, Narrabeen in Australia, <laughs> which is not in the USA, obviously. Well, he said, but he does say if everybody had yeah, an yeah. So maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But it's not uh, it's surfing, surfing Earth. <laughs> I know. Surfing USA. Surf, surfing Earth. Uh, surfing Earth is on my solo album, everyone. Just so surfing, you know. surfing Earth sounds like a Mike Love song. Like I'm telling you, it's gonna, it's gonna be on. Records. It's gonna be on. Um, surfing World. Sur- I think Surfing Earth <laughs> or Surfing World is gonna be on. Um, uh, surfing Galaxy. <laughs> Unchain the love. That's the follow up to unleash the love. Let me tell you. Can't wait for that. Surfing Earth. All right. Um, For a lot of these songs, um, I know that Nick Vinay has been quoted saying that the Beach Boys didn't actually play on these records, which is ridiculous to me. 
other, you know, it said, it says on Wikipedia and it says in books and everywhere else that a gentleman named Frank DeVito plays drums on Surfing USA. But beyond that, and I'm willing to believe that, you know, I think I heard that Dennis broke his ankle or something and they had yeah. to bring in somebody else. But beyond that, just on these sessions in general, Nick Vinay said, um, if you look at the session sheets, a lot of the Beach Boys stuff on those early records was cut while the band was on tour. Garbage. So you can draw your own conclusions from that. Um, he says that the drumming duties on this record were split between Dennis Wilson, Jim Keltner, and Earl Palmer. Which, like, those guys aren't credited at all on any no, of this stuff. And I've heard that it's Hal Blaine on Surfing USA, too. So I could believe that. I think Surfing USA, for one, sounds a little bit unlike Dennis to me. So I can believe that. I think that the singles off this record, I'm talking Shut Down and Surfing USA in particular, I think they definitely sound like somebody that's not Dennis playing the drums. I find it hard to believe that it would be Jim Keltner because Jim Keltner would have been super young at this point. So I'm going to say no on that one. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I can totally see studio players on those tunes, but I can't I can't buy into Nick Vinay's claim. I mean, it just it sounds why would studio musicians be playing some of the stuff that ended up on this record? That doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, and those those two songs, Surfing USA and Shutdown, were recorded like a whole month earlier um, at Western Studios while the rest of the album was recorded at Capitol. Um, so I definitely would believe that those two songs could have had um, a couple other musicians involved, but I don't think the rest of the album was at all. And I just, no, I just with my ears, I don't believe that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you and your ears. So um, we've been giving each song that was officially released a rating, one to ten. Um, one one being the worst Beach Boys song we've ever heard, and ten being the best. And uh, on Surfing USA, I'm going to give it a strong seven out of ten. Um, definitely the best song they released so far, and it just sounds awesome. It's one of the trademark songs for the band and their entire career. And uh, I love the lyric. I love the performance. And it was also kind of, you know, the first time that the band really sounded like professionals in the studio to me. Um, what do you think, Jason? I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. It's such an important song for our favorite band, the Beach Boys. It's an advancement in sound in their vocals, their guitars, all of the instruments, the sound of the actual recording, the mix, all of that stuff. This is just such an important moment in not only Beach Boys history, but rock and roll history, as many of these reviewers have mentioned in reviews of the album. And um, Rolling Stone and all these different people have just put it on lists of important moments in rock and roll, and especially American rock and roll. So I think Surfing USA for me is an 8 out of 10 a, because it's a great song, great lyrics, great performance, all the stuff you said, Wyatt, but also because it launched a surfing craze in the charts of music for the next year or two. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Um, let's see, moving on, we've got track two, which is Farmer's Daughter, written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love. I've come. Hey, God, no place to stay. Place to stay. 
I really, really like this song. This was recorded at Capitol Studios, and um, while it doesn't have the fidelity of Surfing USA, you can definitely tell that Brian is working a little bit harder on the arrangements and the production and the vocals. Everything just sounds a lot better coming from Surfing Safari. Um, and um, I really dig Brian's lead vocal. I think this is his first really like falsetto lead vocal that he ever recorded um, on a Beach Boys record. So that's really awesome. And uh, the performance is great. I love how simple the backing vocals are, and I love the way the lead vocal kind of intertwines throughout those vocal parts, and the blend is awesome, and um, it's just a simple, fun, kind of risque lyric, but really just innocent at the heart of it, and um, I think Fleetwood Mac played it um, on their Rumors tour, actually, and there's a live version that you can check out, and it actually sounds great. I think it's really good. I really love that Fleetwood Mac version. It is a shame that the Heyday Beach Boys did not play this tune live because it's got such a cool, great lead vocal. And as you said, man, what a just awesome, awesome sound from Brian's vocal. All right, so yeah, Farmer's Daughter. I love this song, man. I give it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to go 6 out of 10 because I really love his vocal and I love the tune. Um, and I'm docking at a point from you because I really kind of don't like the production. Yeah. Fair enough. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. Um, all right. So ne- next up, now we're going to get into the meat of the album. And by the meat of the album, I mean the filler. So um, next up, we've got the first of five surfer instrumental songs um, so featuring many. Carl Wilson on lead guitar. Uh, Miserloo, the Dick Dale hit from a year previous, um, written by a bunch of songwriter dudes um, who I'm not going to name. I don't know what else to say about this. I don't think it was performed particularly well. Um, And uh, I think it was just one of those songs that they were playing live probably. And it was a popular surf song and they felt like it would make a good addition to the album. What do you think? Um, It's not a very good version of the song. There's hundreds and hundreds of versions of this song. Right. And this is from a big group. This is one of the weakest yeah uh it's unfortunate uh the album starts off so strong with the first two tracks and then this is just such a bummer i give it a two out of ten i will go two out of ten purely based on it's still a cool song yeah i mean i i think it's um i think it can be a really cool song like i think the dick dale version is really cool um, I just think it's it's very lazy for the Beach Boys to throw this on there, and I don't think it's Carl's best lead guitar playing on the record at all. Not at all. Um, up next, we have a original surf song by Brian Wilson, an instrumental called Stoked.
This one I like a lot better. I think it's got a cool groove to it and I like the performances. I just still don't think it's very interesting and I think it's still kind of lazy and I think if, if, if it were up to me I would rather fill these spots with some of the songs that Brian gave to other artists like um, Gonna Hustle You and Thank Him and Surfer Moon um, any of that stuff you know yeah I'm with you I, I know that with this as I mentioned earlier with this album I feel like they were trying to launch it as so aimed at a concept of being for surfers and surf music so that I understand why they didn't do that but I'm still disappointed they didn't do what you said um, Stoked I like I like it I think it's cool I like the groove I like the, the riff and I like you know you know the spoken part of Stoked at the beginning super cool to me like love yeah I love that intro actually a lot yeah that was kind of a trendy thing to do also with some instrumentals just kind of have like the part where everybody shouts or says the title of the song um which i do kind of dig i like that i like when bands do that still to this day it's it gets me it's fun oh yeah so i give this one a three out of ten it's okay i'm gonna go with four out of ten because i like the title and i really like the i like the groove and i like the the riff so from a point of me just enjoying it four cool up next we have a song we've talked about before called lonely sea written by brian wilson and gary usher Uh, brian and gary weren't really writing together that much anymore at this point but this was recorded back in early 62 if you'll remember from the capital demos sessions and um, it didn't get released until now because they had to buy back the rights for it but I think this is a great song. I've always loved this song, and I'm glad that they were able to finally put it out. Um, I think it would have fit onto the Surfer Girl album a little bit better, but I'm glad that it's on this record and kind of jammed in between some filler songs. I think this is actually a pretty great recording and a really cool lyric as well. song i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten i will give it a seven out of ten as well mostly based on composition it definitely fits the vibe of maybe a different album like you said but to me the recording sounds of this era or the previous record so um it's pretty unique i'm really glad they got to overdub they overdubbed some on this so from the original recording they had done so i like the additions they made and uh 
I don't know. It's got that spooky vibe that's really cool that Brian excels at greatly, as we know. And uh, this is kind of the beginning of that. So I like that. Yeah, man. Beautiful stuff. Love his vocal on it. Love the 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 speaking, the spoken word bridge. Uh, I thought that was awesome as well. Um, so moving on. Track six, we've got the B-side or the... Uh, second side of the double a side single shutdown written by brian wilson and roger christian if you haven't listened to our roger christian episode and you want to hear more check that one out that was episode five from last week we talked a little bit about shutdown but man what a great tune and it was kind of the to me their their biggest hot rod song and just like surfing usa it kind of spread the hot rod craze over the nation as well such a great lyric and a great performance from the band as well and it was recorded at western so you've got those awesome doubled vocals Love's vocal on this. What a great delivery of some tough lyrics. I think we talked about that last time on the Roger Christian episode. Um, Mike's on saxophone on this one, just honking away, which is always a treat. Um, This was the strongest cartoon up to this point. It's a great recording. The guitar solo on it's really hot. I love it. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Shutdown. Shutdown's one of my favorite Beach Boys car songs. Great song. Me too, um, and I, I really like playing this one. It's a lot of fun, and I give it a 6 out of 10. I'm going to go 7 out of 10, and what puts me over your 6 out of 10 is I love that it starts on part of the chorus at the top and kind of a strange chord progression, which kind of signifies a trend with a lot of other surf and hot rod music that we've talked about in the past. So... I really dig this one. Seven out of ten for me. Um, I think it's interesting that they close out side one with with shutdown instead of opening side two with shutdown, um, like they did on Surf and Safari. Started it off with Surf and Safari on side A, and then side B you have 409, and then on Surf on the album Surfer Girl that comes out later, you've got Surfer Girl starting off side A, and then in my room starting off side B. So the big singles, the big hits, but um, interesting. Might've been an oversight on this record on the track listing, but um, I think it's a fail. Yeah. I I think that to me, it sounds like an oversight. I'll blame Nick Vinay. We've got some real filler here coming up. We've got the first track. We've got noble surfer, which is a very silly song. um, And Josh and, yeah, and I thought it was cool. I saw somebody mention that um, Noble could be heard as no bull, two words, no bull surfer. Um, and uh, I thought that was interesting. Maybe that was another sort of like Carolino type type situation between Brian and Mike. Um, but 
it's about this mythical godlike surfer that they aspired to be like, which um, kind of is a, uh, it reminds me of the song Johnny Carson in a way. Yeah, I get but that. The big it, strong man. <laughs> yeah. Of course it would remind me of Johnny Carson, the song from Love You. And where he's going, he never tells. Really, the only cool thing about this recording is, to me, the Celeste solo, which is that cool xylophone-sounding type piano. I bet they just had one laying around in Capitol Studios and Brian just figured he'd play it on something. And it's really odd to hear it on this record and actually kind of makes it more memorable because this song is kind of a throwaway otherwise. Yeah, this one definitely wades into the territory from the first album. Um, It's a goofy little tune. That background vocal chant of Ain't Joshin' always killed me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the first time I heard it, I was just like, this is this is just ridiculous. This is bizarre. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's very innocent of its time. Um, I'm just going to jump right out and throw my rating to you right now. And I'm going to go, um, I'll go three out of ten. It always, I always remember this song and I it catches my ear and I hear it. But maybe for nefarious reasons, because I'm kind of like, this is so goofy. And that's why it's always kind of an earworm, because it's just... It's just so bizarre. Singing ain't joshing. That's so weird. Yeah, I'm with you with a three out of ten. It's not terrible, but it's also, yeah, it sounds like they're regressing a little bit. If you know, it's it's context is everything. I guess if if you had heard it at the time, it would have been a lot cooler and you just were dying to hear more Beach Boys and more songs about surfing, then you would have been pretty stoked about it. Yeah, they were very dedicated to the mighty sea. But moving on, we've got track two on side two, um, Honky Tonk, another cover written by a bunch of songwriters. And um, this may be my least favorite track on the album, I'll be honest with you. I think this is just another lazy track that they threw on there because it was easy. And um, this was originally by Bill Doggett. He had a hit with it in 1956. Uh, and it's just silly. It's just, you know, kind of a worthless, you know, instrumental to me that they could just hammer out in the studio in about 30 minutes. And that's about it. Yeah, it's it's got some cool guitar playing on it. I mean, I think the guitar playing on it's noteworthy. It's better than on Miserloo. I agree. But, but it's also like, well, this doesn't really make sense. This is just kind of passing the time. But, you know, at the time... The surf guitar craze was real. Guitar player craze was real. People love it. And they still do to this day. And maybe they felt like they needed to appease that crowd. And maybe this was kind of like Carl and David Mark saying, Hey, yeah, we got we got this, this you know, we can jam on this. This will be really cool to put on the record because people love surf guitar. Yeah, and I do think it sounds pretty good. Like the guitar tones are cool. Um, like you were mentioning, the the reverb sounds great, and um, you know they were able to do multi-tracking 
with the instruments because there were no vocals on this song, so it, it went a long way. And I do think yeah, that you, is very cool <clears throat> to hear. You can tell you can tell they spent some time on the guitar on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some of those licks are some of those licks are pretty intricate compared to some of the other stuff we've heard. Yeah, and for that reason alone, I'm not totally trashing the song. I still would say it's a two out of ten, um, just because I'm never gonna listen to this song again probably (laughs) like i feel like you know it's it's one of the songs that would keep me from listening to this album on from front to back it just doesn't do much for me and um i just much would i would much rather listen to the brian wilson originals than this yeah i i agree with you it's a you know when i first heard this album as a whole i pretty much for the most part would skip through a lot of the instrumentals because I wanted to hear the singing. But, you know, I go two out of ten with you on this one. Um, I really like the guitar parts on it, but as a Beach Boy song, it's not really a Beach Boy song. Let me just put it this way. If Summer in Paradise never came out, this would probably get a one out of ten. I'll just leave it at that. Gauntlet Throne. I love it. (laughs) Coming up next, we have Lana which is a Brian Wilson original and another song that I think is kind of, you know, in the same vein as farmer's daughter, like a cool Brian Wilson lead vocal with some, um, intertwining backing vocal harmonies. Um, and I really love the tone of Brian's voice on this. And I think it's a pretty fun melody. It's not nearly as exciting to me as farmer's daughter, but, um, I do dig it, and it's one of the first songs that Brian wrote on his own, I think, for the group. So that's really cool. I'll show show you another way. cool it's really really similar to farmer's daughter i almost feel like the farmer's daughter's name was lana that's that's a good observation um i do think it's neat that they change keys and do a pretty seamless key change for the guitar solo i do think that is very cool yep i I always noted that that's always a really impressive thing i again i'm with you i like is Brian's vocal on this and I kind of like the intro with that kind of dissonant slide up chord there in the intro I think that's pretty rad Uh, yeah Um, so what do you got for this one Wyatt I'm gonna give it a 3 out of 10 just because it just doesn't evoke whatever Farmer's Daughter evokes in me and if it weren't so similar to Farmer's Daughter I'd probably give it a higher grade but it just reminds me how great Farmer's Daughter is, and I'd much rather be listening to that. And this song doesn't really go anywhere special or go anywhere new. Right. Um, I'll go with you. Three out of ten as well. It's half as good as Farmer's Daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's just so similar, like you were saying. like It's kind of like the poor man's Farmer's Daughter 
as you pointed out in one of the other things you said, it's mind-blowing that they had all these throwaway tunes on here, and yet they had some real gems they were kind of just casting off as throwaway to other artists at the same time. Oh, yeah. Part of that could be Nick Vinay and Capital saying, well, you got to make a surfing record, and it's got to be all about the surfing, boys. Yeah. And I can under- And I can understand that. But... From a musical standpoint, a producer standpoint, and even, geez, like a hit-making standpoint, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a misstep. And I know we might get some angry emails about this because there are people who um, just love the Surfing USA album. And, and, and there's a, something I wanna, a point I want to make about that later, but let's get back to the review. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's great that we've been able to hear these releases that were lost for many years, like Thank Him and um, Gonna Hustle You and stuff like that, because those songs are great. But um, this record just doesn't have that, you know, that trademark Brian Wilson, you know, genius. Um, It's just got a lot of surfing instrumentals which is fine and obviously people really liked it at the time so who am i to say but um as you know as we've come to find out brian had some stuff in the bag that he was really really proud of and that was really pushing the boundaries of what he was doing as a songwriter and a um, a ranger so up next we have a song that is credited to carl wilson it is surf jam and um since Karate was never released at this point. This was Carl's Man, first karate. original song. This was this was Carl's first big chance, if you will. <laughs> I love um, it. And uh, you know, this is to me. Let's be honest. Like we're just treading water here, not to be too <laughs> punny, but we are really just not doing anything exciting or new with this song. It's just another yeah. surf song in kind of a blues format. And um, Carl just playing some surf riffs on his Fender and cranking that reverb, and you know people were digging it apparently. But um, it's a it's a it's a skipper for me. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and just rate it. I don't really need to talk too much about it. You said all the things that I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go two out of ten. It's uh, it's just another kind of. Loose surf jam. I love Carl. Love his guitar playing. Love his sound. This is not the best showcase. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of uh, Mike Love on saxophone on this song as well. So Saving if grace. you're a big fan of Mike's saxophone playing, then this might be a big one for you. But I give it a 2 out of 10. You know, it's not the worst ever, but it's not good. Right. Next up we have another instrumental it is let's go trippin which was a big hit for dick dale um and again the beach boys just probably had this in their repertoire and decided to throw it on the record and it's a cool song don't get me wrong but we're still just kind of going in circles here and filling out the album had to get another track so let's just let carl crank it up and play a song that we already know so one thing we be, might be missing the boat here with some of these instrumentals is that this album topped off the charts at number two. So 
this could be the exposure of some of these surf tunes to a lot of people that maybe and hopefully they went back and found the other versions so for that it definitely is important and I can see maybe that was their angle of putting a lot of this on there I feel like it was just a, just a, um, <clears throat> I feel like it was just to fill time though yeah I mean let's be honest nobody knew what they were getting into when they bought this record I think everybody sees the Beach Boys surfing USA and shut down and they buy the record and I think maybe a few people bought it because they saw Miserlou or Let's Go Trippin', but I think for the most part it was just, this is a full album of Beach Boys songs, Surfing USA is amazing, I hear it on the radio, I want the record, and then, you know, it's got a lot of the instrumental songs on it, which some people really dug, but I would have been pretty bummed out and would have thought, okay, where's the other songs that, you know, are actually featuring these amazing harmonies from these guys? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this album is just of the era where they just had two great singles and had to stuff an album full of tracks. Bands like, you know, the early Beatles stuff and the Zombies, two bands I know you and I both love, were kind of, for the early part of their career, were definitely uh, prisoners to that method. Um, So the last song on the record is a song by Brian Wilson and Mike Love called Finders Keepers. Um, this is a interesting kind of another modular composition from Brian where you've got kind of a part A and part B that don't really sound like the same song but he makes it work um, and it's got a great you know vocal arrangement and I think Mike's bass vocal is really good and I think Brian's part's great but again it's just very simple kind of just um, you know A, B, A, B and uh there's a little bit of a spoken word thing at the end, but not much going on here. Very simple. I, I'm not crazy about it, but I'm just pumped at this point to hear some vocals. Finders keepers. Finders keepers. really like a modular approach on this as we mentioned in the last album review that this was kind of a mode a brian wilson mode from the get-go um i really like brian's vocal when in the breaks right before the chorus um that always got me as a kid when i first heard this tune and then later on just always super impressed with the sound and the tonality of his voice on those bits. Um, I like Finders Keepers a bit more than Heads You Win or Cuckoo Clock, the similar modular songs from the previous album, because I think Brian's vocals and everybody's vocals sound better. It's a slightly more focused song in terms of simplicity. Those other songs were kind of experimental, but experimental maybe to a fault. At any rate, um, I rate this one 3 out of 10. What about you, Wyatt? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, 3 out of 10. Uh, man. So I think you can probably tell by this point we're not super pumped about this record. But um, the single is amazing. And I really think the first two tracks on the record are the best two songs. 
Um, and then Shutdown is really good as well. But as an album, it just doesn't really hold up. I'm not a big fan of this record. And I would probably give the record an overall score of 3 out of 10, to be honest. Well, I'm going to go one one better. I'm going to go 4 out of 10 on the strength of those singles and on the strength of the production shift for them. I think those things alone drag it up to 4 out of 10 for me. This is probably my least favorite Beach Boys album of the 1960s. Actually, I'm I'm absolutely sure of it. It is my least favorite Beach Boys album of the 1960s and probably of the 1970s as well. Like I would say all the way up until still cruising maybe. God, I don't know. It's it's just down it's down there for me for sure. Um but, you know, the good news is it's all uphill from here. It's just much better here on out i understand Uh, you know a thing i wanted to to bring into view here that relates to you know what we were just talking about how neither one of us are super high on this record there are a lot of reviews on this record and a lot of people i've spoken to over the years that this album just affected them greatly it was a big deal to them very prolific album reviewer uh, Richie Unterberger wrote the album as a whole is the best they would make prior to the late 60s as a band that played most of their instruments rather than as a vehicle for Brian Wilson's ideas the LP was a huge hit which is very true vital to launching surf music as a national craze and one of the few truly strong records to be recorded by a self-contained American rock band prior to the British invasion. I don't agree with that. Um, I think I can agree with his sentiment that it was big to a lot of people and it launched the craze, but I don't feel that it's a strong recorded album by a self-contained American rock band because with their next album, next two albums, they seriously best this record far and away. And it was pre-British Invasion. So I think he's maybe measuring the impact of the single a lot higher than the album. And I wanted to bring out one other thing from a review, a little piece of a review by um, Luis Sanchez, who is an author. I think he wrote a Beach Boys book or, or at least a bunch of essays. And he said, you could call the Beach Boys version of Southern California cutesy or callow or whatever. But what matters is that it captured a lack of self-consciousness, a genuineness that set them apart from their peers. And it was this quality that came to define Brian as he moved beyond into bigger pop productions that would culminate in Smile. So I agree a little more with him. I feel like that it definitely does sound like an innocent, very simplistic record. I'm talking about the tunes that have vocals and the stuff that they wrote. I'm not talking about the surf instrumentals. So I feel like from that perspective, I understand its importance and I understand why people love it so much because I, you know, it is a signifier, like you said, it gets uphill from here, but I have a hard time believing that this particular album so greatly affected people 
the way some of these people are trying to put across. So um, that's just kind of the editorial I wanted to add on here. Yeah, I mean, you know, and these are just our opinions. I think, you know, a lot of people that do love the early Beach Boys era will really respond to this album and really enjoy the surf instrumental music and the other songs as well. I, I just, you know, hope that everybody understands that we come from kind of a place of, of harmony and intricate arrangements and um, interesting songwriting choices. So I think for us, you know, a lot of this is kind of lost, but um, it definitely still has some, some key elements that would, you know, go on to be hallmarks of their career. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, what was to come definitely overshadows most of this record in a big way. It's, t- it's tough to rate an album this low from this period for me because I love the, you know, the sound of the band at this point. Um, but I know it's really important to the, to the overall cultural shift toward the surf and craze, but I think as an album, it, it's very weak. And I feel like the ratings we gave were very honest and very true to where I know both you and I are coming from. That being said... You guys can give us an email, if you like, at saleonpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail at 615-606-3887. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for writing and calling. And it really keeps us going. We both have lots going on, including planning a full year of shows with our Beach Boys tribute band called Sail On. And you can check us out on the web at saleonsounds.com. We've got a ton of dates coming up next year, starting in January. And um, we'd love to see some of you guys at some gigs. If you're coming, let us know beforehand so we can meet up with you. Um, We'd love to see some people out there that are fans of the podcast, fans of the Beach Boys. Um, We're doing everything we can to replicate the sounds of the Beach Boys live um and we're doing it all because we just really love it we really love the band it really means a lot to us it, it always has um i'm not sure what i'd be doing with my life if i never discovered the beach boys and brian wilson but man am i glad that those guys were around and still are and it just makes me happy as i can be when i hear those songs and hear those harmonies and i know jason feels the same way Absolutely. Life-changing stuff. The Beach Boys music is so important to so many people. And I know Carl has said it a bunch in interviews that it was kind of a spiritual experience. And at the end of the day, they were just trying to bring love. So I get it. Love the Beach Boys. We're happy as can be that you guys are listening in. And please keep doing so. We're going to take a couple weeks off for the holidays here. Um, But we'll be back in the new year with some new episodes, tons of great episodes, tons of great albums coming up. We're getting into what I think is one of the most exciting periods of the band here with uh, 1963 through 1966. And uh, keep your eyes peeled. There might be something special coming up later this week on your feed. So please be subscribed to the podcast, either on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps um i really like the app called overcast but um 
there's tons of nice podcast apps out there and please make sure you're subscribed and we'll have something real special for you real soon all right guys anything else jason just want to say thanks again for tuning in keep giving us those voicemails and emails help us power this machine on to the next episode and we'll hopefully see some of you guys real soon out there on the road as always our music is provided by will c at willcmusic.com he's got a great new mashup that includes some beach boys um, samples called colorado kool-aid so check that out all right so thanks again we will see you soon sail on sailors